So it's a teaching on anatta, not self, we've been looking at, considering. Just remember again, this is not a statement, there is no self. It's not a statement that you shouldn't have a self. It's not saying, you know, something wrong with yourself. Or you should destroy yourself, or get over yourself, or transcend yourself, or let go of yourself. Because all these keep creating the very thing that the Buddha is saying is not the point. So the point is not to keep generating the sense of a self that you have to deal with. You know, a guilty self, an impoverished self, a nutty self, a frantic self, a conceited self that you've got to deal with. Just say, just stop doing that and recognizing that uh, actually we need some support for that because it's a kind of habitual activity to improve oneself, to worry about oneself, to doubt oneself, to so on, you know. And it's, it's you know, that, that instinct is not an unhealthy one. You know, the, the uh, interest in, in uh, generating better states of mind better ways of behavior is a healthy one. The interest in uh, developing clarity of mind, loving kindness, firmness of mind, this is a very healthy instinct. The wish to relinquish the unskillful States of mind is a very is a healthy instinct. The wish to improve the way we are with other people. You know, so we're not insensitive, offensive, you know, whatever, fearful of other people is a healthy instinct. The problem is when it when it hits into generating a self to do it, this is where the problems start to um, develop. there's a way of development that doesn't have to go through this particular focal point and the way of development is to develop mindfulness, full awareness and start to investigate what states of mind are skillful what leads to their uh, increase how that can be sustained what ways of behavior are skillful, what needs to they increase, how that can be sustained, and, you know, obviously, figure it out, you know, the whole bit of what we do. So it's not, there is no development, there is no becoming, but there's no becoming in terms of self. There's a becoming in terms of skillful ways of behavior, skillful ways of conduct, skillful states of mind, so that this incredible self-harrowing, self-anguishing vortex can cease, stop, neuroda, cessation of that, cessation of this inner activity. And through that, the possibility for the mind to, to you know, change direction, you might say, and open instead instead of going forwards, backwards, round in circles.
you know, classically you have the two modes of, of cultivation. There's a cultivation which steadies and calms, firms up, and uh, makes things more stable. And then the with samatha, very broadly speaking, it's also in terms of morality, in terms of how we operate, stability, clarity, you know, clearing away the kind of fuzzy, blurred, reactive, habitual stuff that just kind of creeps in. Not even as um, particular topics, but as a whole, you know, a kind of way of behavior where we're just gliding, sliding on automatic. And then we start like uh, cars with no steering. We start sliding on the ice and crash. You know, at first it's kind of fun. You go into automatic, you go into blur, you go into flow, and then whoops, crash. You know, you say something silly or you drop something or you forget something or you're not really aware of, of how other people are feeling and suddenly crash. Then, oh dear, it felt good at the time and you get the results. So, this, uh, this heedlessness or this lack of, of um, clear awareness, conscience, concern. And so, we're just clearing up that. And for that, that sort of training is part of the whole process of stabilizing. You have structures, <coughs> using the structures of the training and the, the core what around how we operate, how we use our robes, bowls, um, keep the house tidy, operate according to routines, careful about food, careful about lodgings, you know, careful about speech, all these kind of ongoing training. So it's avoiding the, the blur the spin, the you know, which has all got a kind of feel-good quality to it, to it, particularly around speech. You know, the tendency to blab or natter or gossip, and it goes fun for a while, and it starts getting a bit nasty sometimes. You know, people lose that the real, you know, just in the in the flow of it all, it rolls along. We like that. But you always have to go that ongoing vigilance of where the mind starts to go into, um, you know, saying things are true which are just implied or imagined, creating people out of bits and pieces of behavior. Just careful, careful. So the sense of uh, an external structure, but the internal structure is even more important than the external. I don't think it contradicts it. It means we have that internal structure, which is a sense of ongoing hiriotapa, conscience and concern, aware of whatever we say or do or even think has effects. You know, so you want to really get the ethical feel tone of it, feel what's happening in the mind when we feel irritated or depressed or frustrated or whatever. 
or if you're gre- if you're kind of greedy or something, just notice what that feels like. That that particular support, what the mind is leaning on, what it's been adopted by. You get these viruses of kilesas which graft themselves into the into the mind. So it feels like me. That's how these viruses take over. They feel very much like me. And they clone. <laughs> you know, and then they proliferate. So in fact they be, do become me. And you go through these incredible you know, scenarios. Believing one is something or isn't something. Your adopts a view project cause role wow and how we can start to transgress um, the whole you know sometimes ethical boundaries and some more subtly the real the, the, the quality of, of awakening Letting go, openness, spaciousness, non non attachment. Hirotapa, then around ethical qualities, mindfulness, clear comprehension, mindfulness and full awareness, and um, appropriate attention. What's it good to attend to? Keep checking out one's aims. There's internal structuring. What it does is it keeps your mind, uh, your attention tuned into just what's the, the ongoing flow of the, that the mind objects, the mind, the thoughts and the emotions are, car- are carried along with, are carried along. What's the ongoing flow in that? When you meditate, very often for many people what happens is we get very much absorbed into the objects, Yeah particular thoughts, terrible thoughts, interesting thoughts, dribbly, trivial thoughts, <laughs> whimsical thoughts, great ideas. You know. And then we, oh, and you wait, oh. And then maybe we start to think about why we're thinking these thoughts. You know. Or, oh, God, I'm not really mindful today. You know, and the self comes, self-view comes in, doesn't it? And we get frustrated with these, these um, thinking these stupid thoughts, so frustrated and no, stop doing this. And then gradually this kind of sense of pressure builds up. Because of the, <coughs> you know, the way we, that the mind tends to glue to, to the topics, the objects. Really what we try to cultivate in mind training is is not taking that much interest in the in the objects, random objects, but determining particular objects such as breathing in and out, breathing in, breathing out, or particular attitudes such as the ongoing quality of loving kindness. And you know, when you do mindfulness of breathing, that's a useful object. Yeah. <coughs> but remember, you know, that the aim isn't really about the objects in themselves, but the that you get the aim is to get the object content of the mind stable enough so that you can witness the underlying stream, you know, which can be eagerness or 
clarity or frustration or sadness. So you get into the like the heart stream of it all. Get in touch with that. There was sometimes a huge amount of pressure there, or or a little energy there. You look into this ongoing stream. You might say the the, the substrate or the underlying strata beneath the immediate one 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 after one events. The ongoing flow of it. You might say the general mood of the mind, the temperament. The voltage, you know, depending what kind of analogies are useful for you. you Is it pushing? Is it reluctant? Is it blurred? Is it, you know, negative? This this is the most important thing, actually. This is the, the stream that uh, leads on to further becoming. So this is the stream, you might say, of further birth. This substrate. And with insight, it's, it's, it's the use of insight is to break up this stream. The use of samatha is to is to make the stream um, clear, calm, pleasant. So external structure tends to do that. Internal structure tends to weed out the grosser defilements. And you just don't don't follow that. Don't follow that. Drop that. Let go of that. Put your attention here. It weeds out the uh, obsessive topics. You cultivate it. It's an ongoing cultivation. What's it wise and useful to think about right now at any particular time? How far do you want to go with that particular thought before you think, well, don't know, leave it there. So this is all to do with the, uh, you might say, the clarifying of citta, the healing of citta. And the practice of, of kindness, metta, can't be underestimated in that. Just purifying the, the sour mind or the guilty mind or the regretful mind or the fearful mind or the anxious mind. You know, I think this is probably one of the, you know, un, perhaps I understate it. Because it's not a matter of just um, trying to trying to do some metta, but actually you know, getting to that place in yourself where you feel that stream and uh, cultivating openness and kindness towards that. It's like directly purifying the, the negative mind or the sour mind or the anxious mind or the guilty mind. May I be well. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to be good in order to experience it. You don't have to have done something useful. These are all the you know, the Protestant 
work ethic mind, you know, you have to deserve your little ration of of goodwill. (laughs) But actually goodwill is not something you deserve, it's something, you know, that that, uh, is needed before you can really get enough firmness, enough integrity, enough sense of wholeness in order to do good. Without loving kindness, without kindness to oneself, then one's doing good is always an attempt, is, is, is stained with the attempt to try to do something that will get me approval or try to do something that will make me feel okay about myself. I've done enough. I've done the good work, you know, therefore I'm okay. I've got to this state, therefore I'm okay. I've done my duties, therefore I'm okay. I've been a good person today, therefore I'm okay. You know? So that that goes along with it. And one of the beauties of the um, renunciant life, in a way, is it, it very radically uh, challenges that because you don't really do do enough. <laughs> it's not about, you know deserving alms food obviously you know if you looked at it like that you think oh, you probably never eat <laughs> but it's a, it's an experience of being actually going forth into a into a, a sea of goodwill where people give you the alms food whether you're mindful or not you know you just do the most basic structure following that keeping the vineyard you know, which is an accomplishment in itself. But the vineyard, keeping the vineyard doesn't make you feel necessarily that good about yourself. You still feel inadequate, can't do this, not haven't accomplished anything yet, not very good, you know, da 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 But then, it, you know, so he's trying to do something to earn one's keep. That's the beauty of going too long isn't it, when you just go out there and people you don't know come along and give you food and you haven't deserved it, earned it, done anything useful for it, but stood there. And the tremendous uh, beauty of that particular occasion, just we enjoy generosity, we enjoy kindness, we like to do it whether anybody else deserves it or not, is the wrong way of looking at it. It's just, you know, it's what you do, isn't it? You're doing it to others whether they deserve it, whether they're good people or not so good people or whatever. You don't, you don't put it through a, through a, through a meter. Just, you know, how do you want to be? How do you... And then to others as to oneself. It's very important to get this kind of sense of holding yourself, being present with yourself, with whatever arises with a mind that doesn't go into ill will. You know, it doesn't mean we approve of everything, just we don't, don't let the mind go into ill will, into negativity, fear, guilt, regret, don't let it do that. Because then, what, otherwise, the stream of negativity 
continues unchecked. The stream of hunger of I've got to be something so then I'll be good enough. I've got to, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. If I could get to something, I'd be good enough and okay. And that stream will go on forever. It always will seek and generate, in fact, objects that confirm its analysis. It will either find something you're not good enough at or imagine something you should be that you're not. This is often what we do in a kind of shadowy way in meditation. We imagine something further than we are that we're not yet. It does that, doesn't it? That's what the stream does. You know, now some teaching might say, well, you're already good enough. But that isn't true either. Because <laughs> that's, that, you know, that's another stream. It's not about saying you are good enough or you're not good enough. Just stop saying you are anything. You know, that, that's the point of cutting the stream. Just to recognize as a, get specific about the particular mental state that's arising. Is it worth keeping going or is it not? Can we find a way to relinquish that? This is what insight does. It cuts the stream. And it's not so easy as as I make it sound. I don't often teach it, in fact, because... For uh, it's a kind of something that becomes a little, you know, almost inevitable to agree when you've done enough of the of the steadying, stabilizing, healing, grounding. You know, if you get the point of that, and what you have to do with that to get that stream steady and straight, and then you, when you, and that's, I guess. A lot of our work is just doing that a lot of the time. So we're not getting knocked into regret and fear and and craving and negativity. Well then, cutting the stream. And... uh, Recognize the stream as <coughs> these different qualities, or different modalities to it. The sense desire, which are often things we like to fill ourselves up with, sights, sounds, ideas, also thoughts. Avid reader, like those little images popping in the mind. It's like monastic life is like white rice. And you just want to put some curry and spice and sugar and something on it to give it a bit of flavour. Goodness me, it's just so bland and boring, this life. Day after day, it's the same pot with the same gruel as yesterday. I'm sure it's exactly the same. They just warmed it up again. It's exactly the same as yesterday. (laughs) You know, the same room the same weather, the same kind of ongoing grey weather that eats into your skin and shadows your soul. 
same, 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 same. Wouldn't could he kind of brighten it up a bit? Why does it have to be so cripplingly boring and, and monotonous? Well, the thing is, it's there so that we, in a way, this is what renunciation is, taking off the veneer, the cosmetics, the furnishings, in order to focus internally on generating or finding the gladness, finding the colouring, finding the fruit within. Because, of course, by and large, us human beings will tend to adopt and lean upon the flavours and colours and happiness that comes from outside. So part of our renunciation is say, just don't make it negative, just don't put, you know, just keep it clean and tidy, that's all. It's like just wearing these robes. Same thing. And then the happiness and the joy is going to come from purifying the stream. It's a kind of, uh, you know, it's a bit of a steep thing. It's a bit of a deep end approach. And, you know, I mean, hopefully the monastery is comfortable enough. You see, some of these places where the you know, forest teachers get enlightened, you realize, goodness gracious me, they had to go inside because outside is just so horrible. You know, some stink, stinking, damp cave <laughs> living on chilies and sticky rice. You think, oh, yuck. You know, you've got to go inside because it's just so miserable out there. But hopefully this place is not, not you know, wretched. But it is, the idea is to keep it simple, keep it clean, just keep it clear, un, unvarnished, undecorated in a way. You know, it's tidy. And keeping our, our lives, they're not fascinating, interesting, dynamic. They're just kind of, boom. So the, the, the internal field is, is a, there's an urge to cultivate that, clarify the minds from its regrets, its anxieties, get directly to it, to the tendency also for resisting the power of, of craving, of adding things. We learn to live in the plane. Simple. Renunciation. It has to be backed up with fostering qualities of Sensitivity, kindness. Yeah. And actually, you know, when you start to cut this stream of sense craving, sense pushing, the mind acquires a sensitivity that itself is quite beautiful. Just the lightness of touch, of noticing sounds, sights, in their momentary momentary nature, and this is the you know this is the way the insight develops, noticing the momentary nature of specific experiences. And most easily, that's to do with the senses, the sense of touch. Your foot striking the ground is the first and the last time it ever happens. This breath is the only one. The next one is another one. This movement of your body is specific one time only. You know, the specific, unique, momentary nature 
of sense experience. Behind that comes along this urge for continuity, for stability, for permanence, for selfhood. There's a kind of an undergoing current of wanting to be something, wanting to get somewhere, wanting to have developed something, wanting to have found a good place. Push. If you follow that, you'll find that the specific events themselves become less clearly experienced. We, get, we go into the stream, we don't cut it. When you're using specific sound, sight, touch, feeling, movement of the body, cold, warm, so forth, to, to train the mind to operate at a different level, not to go into that underlying stream. And it's the other forces are the sense of becoming something, isn't it? Becoming something or annihilating something. These are not conscious decisions. These are not things you can cure by thinking. But you can, you can sense that, that push towards some state, some stasis. Now, in, in our practice, this sense of stability and stasis is often, uh, for human beings, is a, is a profound requirement. And we say, well, okay, just the stability and the stasis is, you know, you're a monk, you're a nun, you're this, that, the other, here you are, boom, keep it like that for the next, we're doing this for the next two weeks, okay? You know, something like that. We don't, it's not really a big individual personal thing. It's just the use of a, of a structure. To, to have that quality of holding and settledness. And then when you have that, you can, you know, if people don't have any stability, then you go psychotic, neurotic. Things just break down. And a lot of that has to be, so that sense of becoming is something to deal with carefully. You know, do you have enough essential stability you know, in terms of where you are, not who you are, but where you are, what you're with, you know what you're doing, you have your boundaries, you have your ethical um, standards are clear and strong, and they're not things you have doubt about, you can maintain them. Your sense of behavior, your sense of who you are with others is okay. It's stable enough. And you start to look into that sense of becoming something or being something the history, my spiritual journey, my spiritual path. What? My journey? Journey? You know? This is the way it feels like it. You're all, you are something in a process of becoming something. As far as I can see, it never, never really ends. And it it sometimes crystallizes into, you know, one's identity, the abbot, or something like that. But you're not here to do that. Or some function, you know, teaching the community, but you're not here to do that. That's something that happens. That's in the real purpose of it. Well, to really get a clear understanding of Buddhism, no, that isn't the purpose of it. 
These are all kind of secondary. They may support it. The purpose of this, you know, if you look in the Heartwood Sutra, for example, is not the sila, not even the samadhi, but the, the, the complete deliverance of the mind. It's, this is through cutting that stream of becoming. So you kind of start to feel the, the quality of what one feels one is, or is moving towards, or is growing, or is inadequate in, or needs more of. And this itself is dukkha. It's immediately always unsatisfied. And uh, it's a nature. That is, it's a continual flow, and it will always keep changing and flowing into something else. And yet, even though the specific topics of it change, from this to that, to this to that, this project, this wish, this aspiration, this movement, this there's an ongoing sense of, of continuity with it. I am this, I want to be this, I'm not getting to this, I will be this, you know. And that's that's the thing to, to keep cutting by looking at what specifically is that occurring around at any particular time. What's what's the mental factor that accompanies it? You know, and I say, you know, for me there's anxiety, got to do well enough in order, got to make sure things that worry, anxiety, pressure. Guilt, haven't done enough, not done enough, regret. Guilt, anxiety. And there may be some sense of despond, heaviness, weight to it. You gradually get heavier <laughs> and more stuck in that, in that process. Haven't done enough, probably never going to get it there. Oh dear. You know, and then despond of the stuckness being in that, the pressure building up. You do a bit more, you get clear of it. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is what this teaching is about. It's a very merciful teaching. It's saying, you know, get the burden off your back. This kind of underlying, subtle but pervasive stream of belief that whispers and through the emotional centers of inadequacy and need and, you know, regret, anxiety, worry. Looking to make it more stable, more solid, more more, more, and still it's unsatisfied. So you just look at what any particular time, the, the, the focus of insight is look at specific thought, topic, and what supports it. Is it supported by worry, by craving, by rage by fear by sadness you know? or is it something that is supported by joy 
Just look at the supports of the, of the mind. This will then tell you the stream that they're coming out of. You know, you see something, I guess all of us have these, you know, look into our, our own little areas and things we've got to do, things we've, you know, things we see are inadequate, things we think are lacking. And what comes up with that feeling of fluster or just, okay, well, this could be done if conditions and causes support it, you know, you could do this. Or there's always that sort of scramble or a feeling of overwhelm, it's too much, can't do it. Yeah. I'm a lay person, I can't do it, I've got this and that and this and that, and this is so much going on, I can't do it. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> the thought comes up and immediately comes behind it, this great shadow of overwhelm, inadequate, failure, guilt, regret. You, you look that very much in the moment, that, that little microcosm that is being recreated moment after moment. Whenever you think about yourself, you think about the past, you think about your life, you think about who you are, you think about what you should be. And you, you know, that, if you attend in that way, this is called inappropriate attention. And really, you know, I mean, you know, I think, I'm not bragging, but I think I've lived a pretty skillful life compared with what I could have done, you know, and yet still the feeling of, well, <laughs> I always find somebody who seems to have got it together better. No, never going to end, is it? I don't know. I just say, tell you how I how I see. My, I'm not trying to adjudicate everybody else's mind, but I do know this process myself. So, just offer that. How does it get cut? You look at the particular topic, thought of the mind, and what's the emotion that supports it now if it's a emotion of feeling overwhelmed if you follow that it can only take you to overwhelmed it can't go any other way because that's its that's its stream if it's a topic associated with anxiety it can only go in the anxiety direction if it's one associated with ill will it can only go in the ill will direction because that's what it, that's its family it doesn't know anything else so, you know, you start cutting it with, with reversing it, you know. Ill will replace it with kindness. If it's anxiety, replace it with trust and faith. Yeah. If it's endless activity, replace it with calm, grounding yourself in your body. You know, you start cutting it by these reversals. Uh, that's a kind of fundamental technique, you might say. And as you get more used to that, then you begin to it begins to cut more clearly just through insight, looking into its own nature. That is, this is you know, how do you do that? Well, you know, through that practice of really reversing the stream, cutting it, you get to know these phenomena, 
and you get to know how they break up. If you haven't seen the break up, even though you may intellectually accept the idea of impermanence, and in fact be quite good at seeing it on certain levels, the sense of impermanence isn't carried into this stream, this inner stream, where, where it's really, that's, that's where it's really most important. So you have to do these like, reversals to get the, to the, for the one into it more intuitively, not intellectually understanding permanence, but intuitively at a very at a gut level. So that when something comes up, something in you begins to hold that and, and drops it. Because you know whatever, you don't know is the wrong word, but you're, you've got it, something in your reflexes has got it, that whatever manifests good or bad, if it's manifesting, it's got a push to it, it's not going anywhere. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not going to where you want to go. It's going to where maybe you have to go, you know, da, 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 for today, but it's not really going to your, to, your, to your real destination, to your real goal. The goal is emptying that. Whatever, and this is so, this is where this sense of the realization of anatta comes from recognizing anicca and the, the dukkha of this continuity, of this ongoingness, of this solid, this apparent solidity that's not stable. It's a kind of continue, continuing regeneration of wobble and, and uncertainty. It's stable in some sense, but it's not comfortable stable. And it's looking to find the place of stasis, of wholeness, of completeness, of fulfillment. And that's a wise enough instinct, but it's going in the wrong place. You're not going to find it in the stream of becoming. So we never know ourselves. Because in deepest knowing, there isn't a self to know. So whenever you know yourself, you know you got it wrong. <laughs> Very crudely speaking, whatever you know yourself as, that's, that's the sign of what you've got to work with, not of some statement. That's not a... You know, that's a sign of what you actually got to, to, to work through. Be clear about it. Look at the specific points at which it arises and the qualities that support those. You know, one's capacities, one's physical senses, one's intellectual capacities, one's emotional balance or imbalance. You know, and then the, the feelings and the moods that arise around that. Energies. You know, samadhi, whatever it is, and then what's what? So we look at the question of insight: is what supports this? And we see what supports it is itself unsupportable. You know, it's it's in a a wish, a hope, 
a despair, a sadness, uh, an excitement, you know, just a kind of waving mood. So this is, uh, we look into the practice of insight is breaking up the solidities, breaking up the, the continuities, breaking up the stream. But it must be emphasized that, uh, you know, this actually is a, is quite an advanced part, you know. Uh, practice does require a sense of that, the structure, you know, building up the this, this sense of stability that's healthy, that's reliable, that's not giving you any, uh, you know, that, that, that's not, you know, it's coming out of the darkness. So if you're finding you can't, you're getting swept away by feelings and thoughts, just come back to very specific noting of objects, sights, sounds, touch, if you can't do it with breathing, do it sweeping around your body, noticing specific sensations, get to the specific object definition. And that must always be something that you're, you're, you can do or you're training yourself in. Because this is one of the means that both um, gives us a sense of stability and also cuts the stream. A clear object definition as an object not as something that you're kind of slit, pushed along by or sliding around in. This is a thought. This is a negative mood. This is a positive mood. This is a sensation. This is cold. This is hot. Track around your body. You know, see if you can feel the difference between the sensations in one hand and the sensations in the other hand. What tells you this hand is left hand, right hand. What tells you the difference between each finger, index finger, middle finger, ring finger, little finger, thumb, then each joint. You know, so you can actually get some sense of each thing as a specific quality to it. And you get sharper at that. That's going to be really helpful. Clear object definition. The other main thing is just clarifying the quality of intention. So there's a sense of how we are, clear intention, whether you're regular morning chanting, evening chanting, puja, aspirations, service, and so forth, animodanas, this whole sense of really expressing the quality of the, the joyful, the grateful, the inspiring, the devoted, you know, trying to foster that fundamental inclination of rising up to the good rising up to the good acknowledging our mistakes acknowledging transgressions rising up to the good your fundamental intention so you get those clear look for every sign that you can find that can foster that every occasion one has to cultivate the good and it can be just in the way that we set up things for the meal quietly mm-hmm. you can refine it and in this particular training and situation the one of the advantages is you can refine that when you can't do 
massive things like save the starving in Zambia, but you can, you know, which would be a great idea, incidentally, but right now we can, you know, sweep the shrine, sweep the dumb hall, set the meat, things up for the meal, you know, speak at a level which is necessary and not unnecessary. Just looking at training oneself in the good and the suitable. These create a kind of firm uh, internal structure. So you don't have to lean so much on the external structure. You create internal structure of clarity, of mindfulness, care, specific aspirations to the good, and clear acknowledgement of really what's going on moment at a time. You know? I sometimes question the amount of time people spend with their eyes closed, actually. You know, is it really healthy? (laughs) You just drift off. We call it meditation. Is it? Is it clear? Is it specific? Or is it just back into the stream again? You know, that that, uh, kind of sense we can have of meditation is always going to close down because then things aren't going to disturb me. Yeah, that's fine. But you want your stream stream to be disturbed by being specifically aware of what's going on. It's not a matter of just kind of lapsing into a near-sleep state. We are swept along by the current of dreams and energies and feelings and so forth. That is not meditation. That is the antithesis of it. (coughs) One could spend quite a bit of time in monastic life going into that. You have the license to do it. People go very weird in there, <laughs> concoct views, get absorbed into the psychic energies, you know, and just going to the stream, cut off from what's going on around, from other people, responsibilities, you know, tight keeping the place clean, just going to the, the little inner world playing with the toys in the room. This really is, uh, uh, you know, this kind of thing is, is a sad, um, perhaps a deviation from what uh, the Buddha was encouraging us to do. Like if you're a wandering summoner in a jungle, you can't go into the stream. You've got to keep on the ball with what's going on. Otherwise you're going to get bitten, stung, lose your path. You know, you've got to wake up. And that's kind of, that's the training. It's not cloistered, you know, hideaway. It's it's sharpen up. And, you know, we can't do that all the time, but you want to get that sense of it, the sense of the, the immediacy, the urgency. You can't do it with your eyes closed, do it with your eyes open. get clearer about uh, 
the way you move your body around. In some places develop a very refined degree of uh, core what? Of duties and house standards to keep that sense of really being on the ball with what's going on. You're not told, you've got to, you've got to look and listen to the, what's happening. Get in with it, follow it, sharpen up. If, oh, I can't meditate here, I'm too busy. You know, but there is a point to that. So that when we meditate, when we do come to a place where we can go still and silent, actually that faculty is is strong. A sense of acuity, a sense of specific attention is strong. And you don't just kind of drift all the time. So this is important to inter- to use these external structures and forms not as uh, some kind of sense of an ultimate standard, an ultimate truth, or something to be critical for other people about, but to use for your own training, to sharpen up. And then you can start to look into, with that sharpness, look into, you know, what's supporting the mind. Is it joyful? Is it happy? Is it negative? Is it pressurized? What is it? You know, what are the skillful and what are the unskillful? This is where you start to clear and cut the stream. Actually, this whole life is kind of pointless in worldly terms, in terms of, you know, we don't seem to do a hell of a lot, really, in, in the sense of the world. But it is creating this place of, of, of uh, openness, of emptying, where those who wish can find this place where the world ends. And there's something really special in keeping that opportunity available. This is the ending of Dukkha. Anyone?